Hi there. Are you ready for the show today? I love today's guest, and I think you're going to love her too. Welcome to I Am All This, a podcast about what it means to take care of your whole self and show up fully present here now. I'm your host, Kate Hurley, and this episode is brought to you by the Kate app and website, my online platform that combines movement with meditation to help you take care of your body, mind, and heart. So everything we discuss on this podcast is about you, but it's also much bigger than you. My hope is that in every single episode, what comes through is the fierce power of love and how deeply connected we are to each other and to the environment. Today's guest is someone I've followed along with and admired for years. Her name is Victoria Myers, and she's a dietitian and owner of the virtual private practice and online education center called Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Victoria and her staff specialize in empowering women to ditch diets, regulate hormones, heal digestion, and learn to practice wellness without obsession. Victoria is also the host of a popular intuitive eating and wellness podcast, the Nourishing Women podcast. Her mission for her community is to help them let go of the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy and make peace with their bodies so they can live their lives to the fullest. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm like so honored to be here. I love your podcast so much. I'm so glad you started a podcast. Like you definitely needed to have your voice out into the world. So thank you for having me on it. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. I love your show. You're one of the women who inspired me to start it. So there you go. Um, Okay, so today I want to start things off by just introducing the community to you and telling your story. Right before we jumped on the call this morning, I was going through your website with a fine-tooth comb, and I pulled this quote. (laughs) I pulled a quote written by your team member, Megan Perez, and if it's okay, I'd like to read it. Of course, of course. Okay, so she says, a majority of us are practically brainwashed from a young age to believe that dieting is the norm, thinness is equivalent to beauty and health, and that our level of healthy eating and exercise is somehow attached to our morality. Does that speak to your experience? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I feel like from from the existence, from being such a young child, I remember believing that being beautiful and looking pretty was all that mattered as a woman and that that was the only thing I needed to strive for. Um, Now, my parents did the best they could to try to teach me like have good grades and like it was kind of like this this like interesting mix of like do good but also be pretty. So yes, I can completely relate to that. I feeling as if from a young age, I always had to be on a cancer wheel of always achieving this never ending perfectionism, which doesn't exist because you cannot attain perfection. Totally. And I think so many of our listeners can 
really see themselves in that experience that you're naming. How did your journey lead you to doing this work of coaching other women, becoming a dietitian, and also leading a team of other dietitians? Yeah. So as I just mentioned, you know, it starts from a really young age for me. I I honestly don't think I ever had a normal relationship with food or my body, but I vividly remember beginning dieting at the age of 16. That was the first time I went on a diet and I decided I need to look different, act the part. Um, I'd recently decided I wanted to become a dietitian. So I, you know, I felt like I needed to, again, look the part, so to speak. Um, And that kind of led me down a 10 year path of being on and off diets. I was a yo-yo dieter. I restrict and binge eight. I definitely had um, a tendency towards orthorexia throughout the entire 10-year experience. And just in case your listeners have never heard of the term orthorexia, that's the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. So I think because I was a nutrition major and then I was in school you know, for that, and then um, as the years continued on, I also, of course, became a registered dietitian and started working in that profession. I always felt like I needed to look and act the part and I needed to be a perfect eater and exercise perfectly and practice all these things perfectly. So I definitely always had a disordered tendency towards that. And um, it was shortly after my honeymoon with my husband that I had kind of a breaking point and I had heavily restricted the entire year leading up to my wedding because again, I felt like I needed to be the perfect bride and I needed to look the part of the bride and lose weight. Uh, I actually vividly remember people telling me that I needed to lose weight. So it was also being spoken to me. Um, so yeah, after that, I, you know, an entire year of heavily restricting, I binge ate my entire honeymoon. It's actually really sad still to look back on because that's mainly what I remember from my honeymoon is not the, not the, the beautiful moments with my husband, but I just remember binge eating a ton. And I came home from the honeymoon and had multiple binge eating sessions following thereafter. And binge eating is always followed by restriction. So of course that was happening, but I'm, I'm grateful that those experiences occurred because what happened is I had this breaking point. I woke up one day and was like, oh my gosh, like there has got to be another way to live. Like this is not normal to be this insane around food 24 seven. And that so beautifully led me down a path of discovering intuitive eating and then becoming intuitive eater led me to develop a more uh, intuitive relationship with movement. And then it helped me develop um, a better sense of healthy body image. And then that led me into starting a private practice of had Nourishing my Nutrition now for four years. And as you mentioned, now we have a team of dietitians on board helping, helping our clients and our community and our audience at the podcast that I host called Nourishing Women Podcast. We just, you know, we exist to try to help women feel liberated in their bodies, feel at home in their bodies, feel um, connected to food and understand what it means to practice intuitive eating. Because I feel like there's a ton of misconceptions about what that actually means. And then two, with our clients, we help them if if they have hormonal issues or digestive issues, we also help women um, heal from those experiences too. Because it's interesting, a lot of times when we have disordered eating, there does tend to be a tendency to have like um, have health issues co- accompanying it. And that's because the body's like in a starvation mode, which I can talk to you if you'd like me to. Yeah. Well, you just said so many golden nuggets there. And I just want to back it up because... Um, Yeah, there's just so much goodness in what you shared. But going back to your own personal experience, so did you feel led to become a dietitian initially because you felt like that could help you? Like, I mean, I guess, were you struggling with 
all of this even after you had been trained to be a dietitian? That's my big question. Yes, for sure. So the first part of the question, I wanted to become a dietitian. I'm 100% convinced as I look back because I thought it would fix my issues with my quote unquote weight, um, which I was, I live in a thin normal body. Like I had no reasons at all to feel that way, but I had, again, felt that way since I was a young child. So I definitely feel like I decided to become a dietitian because I felt like I could quote unquote fix myself. And then two, yeah, for, um, I was a dietitian for five years before I opened up my own practice and I've been practicing now for four years, which means what, that's like nine years. I would say the first three to four years of being a dietitian, I was still struggling with my own relationship with food. And as I mentioned with my wedding is that's probably like the last hurrah I had, so to speak with dieting and disordered behaviors. So I was absolutely, I think things actually got worse as a dietitian because I felt the pressure even more. And then especially like that was also the time when I was slowly getting on Instagram and getting immersed in that world. And I felt like I saw all these people's eating and their exercise and look how they look. So I think all of those things contributed to this, um, this really intense experience with, with orthorexia and yo-yo dieting. I so appreciate you sharing that and being really honest with your story because, you know, it's just amazing to me that even in the field of nutrition and like when you go to school to become a dietitian, like it's amazing to me that they don't flag these issues a bit more. I think they perpetuate it. I think most of us dietitians, and I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of dietitians that feel similarly to the way I do that. I think it promotes it and exacerbates it. And it would almost be hard to flag it because most of us going through nutrition school are experiencing it. Isn't that interesting? And like, no wonder we live in such a diet-centric world where dietitians are telling people how many calories they need to eat and how to how to eat this, not that. Like, we're also struggling with our relationship with food. Um, so yeah, I think it would be so valuable to start flagging that, that I don't even know how, I honestly don't even know how you go about doing that because almost everyone experiences that problem. Well, the the system is broken and the system is feeding this, but um, another thing that you shared that I thought was so powerful was that your main memory on your honeymoon is binging and being stressed out about food and then also leading up to your wedding, just all of those messages that you've been fed about what a bride should look like and about what a bride should do. Honestly, you know, I think that's why it's so exhausting to get married. Oh, absolutely. Right. Like it. I think it's so sad that that was what I was focused on. And I'm, again, I'm grateful because I feel like it's made me so passionate about this work because I have all these lived experiences of, of having the exact opposite experience of what I really wanted. Because of course I didn't want to be thinking about that and being preoccupied with food. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, when you think of it like that, it's blatantly obvious how, how wrong disordered eating and how wrong this, uh, this pattern is that we, as many women are all stuck in. Totally. So one of the big things that you do is you help people to become aware of these unhealthy habits of these dysfunctional patterns, and you help them get unstuck. And I'm sure that you experiencing this firsthand has helped you to show up and be more of service. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah. I, like I was just saying, I don't think I could be as passionate about it as I am. And same when I, I actually go for the dietitians that work with me as well. We've all experienced disordered eating. And I think there's something to be said with like 
relatability and just ability to have that like I have perspective because I remember having the same thoughts my clients do. I remember feeling the shame, feeling the guilt, feeling the remorse. So I feel like it's made me a 10,000 times better practitioner because I can say like, yeah, I remember feeling that way and your feelings are valid. However, you can choose to do differently and here are the steps to do that. Awesome. What what are those steps? Like maybe we should start by taking a step back even and just defining for us what is intuitive eating. Okay. I love this question. Thank you for asking it. Cause I feel like there's so much like fluff information out there about intuitive eating. Cause I think if you find out about it, particularly on social media, most people think it's just eat intuitively or just listen to your body or eat whatever you want. And by all means, it is those three things, but it's actually a whole heck of a lot more than just those three things. So it's actually, it was founded by two dietitians, Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Reich. Thank you guys so much for doing this work. They uh, created a book called Intuitive Eating back in the 19, either late 1980s or early 1990s. I'm blanking on which decade it was, but um, it's uh, 10 principles that encompasses the intuitive eating philosophy and framework of basically helping you integrate mind body knowledge back into your eating patterns and helping you understand that emotion, rational thought, and instincts are all part of how we eat. You know, it's so interesting as intuitive eaters, we're all born with this instinctual capability. Like we're all born as intuitive eaters. We just lose it for the very reasons we were talking about today because of people pleasing and perfectionism and because of diet culture in this world that we live in that tells us that we have to control our eating in order to have health. Um, so the 10 principles, there's obviously 10 of them, as I just mentioned, but I don't want to kind of go through every single one of them, but just to kind of mention off the top of my head, it's things like reject diet mentality, honoring your hunger and fullness, and like understanding what this interoceptive cues are inside your body. It's things like uh, challenging the food police, learning to have that internal dialogue with that voice that tells you how you should eat, giving you guilt and shame for if you eat something that's quote unquote quote unquote, off limits. It's also things like body respect and joyful movement and gentle nutrition. And I think that's really important to understand as well, because because most people think of intuitive eating as just eat intuitively. They don't understand that movement and nutrition are part of the actual philosophy and principles. But in the words, I think describe it so well, it's joyful movement, not for punishment. It's gentle nutrition, not being rigid or dogmatic with it. So, um, you know, we help clients through it's, it's honestly so different for every person. It's hard to like really say specifically, we do have an online course called permission stage playbook that gives the more step-by-step framework. But I will say there's like a whole lot to it. It's like a lot of things of like identifying food fears and food rules and helping you try those foods and what exactly that looks like to challenge the food police inside your head. And, um, so, a lot of internal dialogue work and a lot of self-worth work too, because you're developing your self-worth outside of how you look. And I think that's important to understand that that's part of intuitive eating also. I love this idea of challenging the food police and that you're taking this holistic approach to think about or to acknowledge the internal dialogue that goes around food, to acknowledge how what we see in the mirror shapes you know, what we put on our plate or what we think we should be putting on our plate. What are some common misconceptions that people have about intuitive eating? 
Um, so a couple of the one size that I mentioned earlier, I think are things that people think it's just eat intuitively or eat whatever you want. And you know, one of the biggest premises of intuitive eating is you do have permission to eat whatever you want, however you want, whatever you want. But there is this integration of mind body knowledge. And a lot of times people do view it as all you're going to do is eat ice cream and pizza and chips. And I generally find people who think of it like that and like, no worries if that's you listening, but generally speaking, that means you're still kind of influenced by diet culture if that's your perception of intuitive eating. Like if you believe taking all the rules and restrictions away and you're only going to ever eat those foods, then that means we've got some diet culture views of how it means to take care of yourself. Because the truth is, is we don't need restrictions. We don't need rules. We don't need diet plans in order to know how to take care of ourselves. I think that's one of my absolute most favorite things about intuitive eating is, is it really is about just coming home to your body and understanding your body. Now, I do think that it's very common that most of us feel super disconnected from our bodies. I find a lot of us that struggle with disordered eating and orthorexia do tend to be people who are disconnected because they're, you know, their to-do lists are so long. They're constantly staying busy. They're constantly exercising. It's all these like go, go, go things so that you don't have to really sit, think, and reflect about what you're actually feeling and experiencing. So that's why I always say like an intuitive eating work is so much more than just giving yourself that permission because it really goes so much more deeper than that. Mm, I love that idea of coming back home to your body. You know, the truth is so many times I think, oh man, I, I've lost myself and it's like, nope, I just, there's, you can never lose you. You can never lose that idea. You can never not be at home in your body, you know? So just helping people to remember that or to recognize that, um, that they're already here. I don't know, maybe that's a little confusing, but I just I just love that you describe that as as coming back home to your body. Do you think a big part of dismantling diet culture and becoming f- more free of diet culture is also just accepting some of these thing like some things as normal? Like for example, right now on social media, I am getting targeted to get rid of my belly bloat by some nutrition company with all of these ads telling me that belly bloat is wrong. Like, do you think that we have been, (laughs) do you think that we've been fed to believe that like we shouldn't be human, that we shouldn't be bloated? Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious to hear your take on some of this. Yeah, I think my my reaction said it on like, what? What do you mean people are targeting you? I hate that so much. Yeah, I mean, I think we, gosh, it's it's complex. Not only do I think that we see everything about our bodies as problematic and wrong, for example, someone telling you that you need to get rid of your belly bloat, but I also think it even goes deeper. Something I've noticed a lot, I think because I tend to do digestive and hormonal work in addition to intuitive eating work is people will come to me with these entire slew of health issues and think every single thing is wrong with their body. And I think that's part of their problem right now of the health and wellness world, if I'm being honest with you, is that we're being told and targeted, as you mentioned, to be, to be, to to believe that there's always something innately wrong with us and that it needs to get fixed. You need to eat this way to get rid of your acne. You shouldn't be eating that if you want to get rid of the skin condition. You shouldn't ever have a digestive issue. And the like the truth of the matter is you're never going to have perfect health. And that is, again, another, another level of perfectionism. And I think it's really problematic because it keeps people so focused on their health and wellness rituals and being a slave to it. It's an example of healthist 
thinking, if you believe that you should always be, um, your highest ambition in life should always be this consistent and constant pursuit to health. That's, that is what health is thinking is. And that's described in the book, Body Respect by Linda Bacon. And I think it's extremely problematic because it keeps people in my opinion, not focused on the right things in life. Like to me, this work is all about liberating you in order to focus on one, being present in your life, two, being fulfilled and living your dream life, whatever that is. And then three, making sure we're all focused on the things in life that truly matter. Like for example, what's going on right now with Black Lives Matter movement. Like I do not want people thinking about like, should you eat a cookie or not? Like this is the stuff that matters, not that. Would you agree, Kate? Absolutely. I think it's all about keeping people small. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I see people, for example, falling into this cycle where they are plugged into diet culture and they are totally paralyzed by shame and guilt because maybe they're not exercising enough. I see that a lot when it comes to movement. And then their lens is so small that they can't show up fully present. They can't show up for themselves and then they can't be in service for the greater good and show up in their communities. So um, it's just, it's just a vicious cycle. Absolutely. It is a vicious cycle. And that's why I think to me, it's so critical and so important that we help each and every single person who does feel that way is like this step matters because it's going to help you do all those amazing things with your life. And like you said, be of service to others the way I know every person wants to do that for others. It's just sometimes we get so preoccupied with the food and the exercising that we uh, we get disconnected from the things that again that truly matter. I talk a lot in my um, my to my audience and to my community about value based living, and that's to me uh, where intuitive eating really does help you live your values because you're focused on the things that truly matter. Mm, and what are some of your core values? Uh, being of service to others, you know doing what I believe is best in the world, no matter the repercussions, I would say, uh, being a good example for my daughter, having a daughter has made me like 10,000 times, trillion times more passionate about things that, uh, truly matter to me, like being a feminist and standing up for what I believe is right. Um, and then just like other things outside of kind of that perspective, it just, enjoying my life, finding and pursuing joy and gratitude on a daily basis, being more present. I've been in 2020, I mean, 2020 has been an interesting year so far, but I've been really focused on trying to be more intentional and like making my life much more simple and just being present with what I have versus always trying to have material items and different things to give me um, joy in my life and just really focusing on what I have and pursuing that joy. So um, I think the other thing I, I I, I cannot express enough how grateful I am that I get to do this work for an everyday. And I think that's a huge part of my values is getting to help women go through the experience that I went through all those years ago so that they can really show up uh, for themselves. Yeah, you're helping them unplug from the matrix and giving them their lives back, you know, because when we are just saddled with all of these negative um, ideas of ourselves, it's pretty hard to function and show up fully present. I'm really curious to hear more about how things have shifted for you since you had your daughter, Madeline. What do you hope to teach her and give to her that maybe you didn't receive as a young girl? So many things. I think 
my parents and my family and those around me did the best they could with the knowledge that they had, right? But I think that the, the, the saying of like, when you know better, you do better. Like, I don't think that is even a thing back when I was growing up to question behaviors like dieting. Um, the first time I ever went on a diet, I went on a diet with my mother um, to, to have self-worth rooted in just who you are as a person. Those were never conversations we really had growing up. Um, just, you know, believing my body is beautiful and didn't need to be fixed. Everyone around me was always dieting or talking badly about them bodies. So the main things I think of, again, are just like trusting her body, coming home to her body, um, having respect for her body. And I love the concept of body respect because um, while I love and practice body positivity, I know it's not something that is the goal of everyone's or necessarily attainable for everyone either. So the idea of body respect is just treating yourself with the kindness and compassion you deserve rather than focusing on love and positivity. Like because I mentioned it might feel super unattainable. So just teaching her those things. I've also, I mean, she's only, she's only, she's turning one this week, but I've also already been talking to her about things like body autonomy. And when she says no, that means no. And just trying to help her learn these things now. Like I always think of it, I believe something like zero to 12 years old is when their subconscious is programmed. So I want her like hearing these things, even though I, I understand she doesn't fully understand all these details now, but I want her understanding at the same time, too, in her subconscious that these are, you know, she is worthy. She is beautiful. She is enough. She is smart. She is all these things, right? So I want her to take over mm -hmm. the world. So um, trying to help her learn those things now. That is so beautiful. And I really want to stop and highlight what you had to say about body respect versus body positivity, because I've been in the, that camp where for many years, I just felt like I was doing it wrong because I felt like body positivity or body love, it was too focused on an end result. It was, it felt like, it felt like way too much pressure it felt like not doable. And then it reinforced the belief that anytime I had a negative thought about myself, I was doing it wrong. So I love that shift to take people to body respect and just making it less about the end goal. It feels more process oriented. Is that, yeah. is that true? Would you say that's right? It is. And you know, I think for me, I always try to say like, I believe in body positivity and I'm part of the body positive movement because it was originally created uh, by marginalized bodies trying to s both celebrate and share that they deserved, um, all bodies deserve that love and that respect and that um to take care of themselves, right? And to celebrate themselves, as I'd mentioned. So I think it's always important to understand like body respect. It's kind of like intuitive eating. Intuitive eating isn't just intuitive eating. Body positivity isn't just being positive about your body. It encompasses kind of all these other things. But I agree with you, Kate. I think the term kind of confuses people. So I've shifted more recently to talking about self-acceptance and body respect because I do think it helps people hone in a little bit more. Something we share inside of our online course is that uh, loving your body is not a prerequisite for taking care of it, and you can still respect your body instead of constantly micromanaging it. And to me, body respect has two key principles to it. It's taking care of yourself and having access to self-care on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis because you deserve to take care of yourself. And then two, it's having um, your terminology over time change. So if you talk to yourself in a really hateful, shame way, it's eventually sh shifting towards tolerance and then eventually towards neutrality and then eventually towards respect and then eventually, if even desired, towards love and towards positivity. Um, but I think that helps people 
make it feel more attainable to know that you don't have to go from hating your body to loving it either. Where do you think you are in that journey from tolerance to loving the body? Now, I don't want to sound <laughs> – this is an interesting question. Like, I don't want to sound trite, but I would actually say love. Like, I genuinely do love my body, and I genuinely think it it's beautiful, even though it's a bigger body than it's ever been before. Um, and I, I genuinely love it. Now, I always preface that, though, by saying that doesn't mean I love it all the time. Like, that's very perfectionistic to believe that you would love it at all times. But most days, most of the time, I do genuinely love it much more because I just love who I am and I love how it takes care of me and how it allows me to live my dreams and enjoy my life and to be a mom and do all these amazing things. But I can oftentimes find ways to actually like look at myself and celebrate myself and enjoy that. Uh, that again, that doesn't mean it happens all the time by any means, but I am able to do that more and more as time continues on in this journey. But in the beginning, it felt anything but that, right? Like it felt like just enough just to say, oh, I don't hate my body today. Like I can just be tolerant towards it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. And that's where I stayed for a really long time. And just over time, I just, you know, kept learning more. I think for me, I wonder if you're this way too, Kate, but I think whenever I understand that something's been programmed to me or that this is diet culture, this isn't actually me, like that always helps me feel very ignited in my belief systems to practice differently. So I know it's hard sometimes to actually make that an application in your life, but for me, education's always been a really powerful tool and like releasing that thought pattern for myself and my own experience. Totally. Absolutely. I'm curious to know if your ability to kind of heal and to show up for yourself in a different way, has that impacted your relationship with some of your family members who you maybe used to diet with? Have they been inspired by your healing journey? And do you think you've helped to, to heal them a little bit as well too? You know, I think yes and no. So I'm thinking right now, I'm kind of smiling as you're asking this because my sister is just outside my door taking care of my daughter right now. And absolutely for the two of us, that's something that's so deep that we always talk about, that we've always, we went through that journey together because we both dieted from a really young age and we've walked through that together. So absolutely with her. Now with other people, um, I think I've inspired them and helped them see a different perspective, but maybe didn't shift their own beliefs about themselves. But I think it's still powerful because maybe all those years ago, they didn't even know that there was a possibility to think of yourself in a different way. And then I do have like lots of young cousins that are like in their like teens and 20s. I do hope that I'm changing their narrative for themselves of how they believe in themselves and how they show up in this world. You know, it's something that I think they're, they can be shy about that conversation because it's normal, and like extremely normalized to pursue dieting. But um, I don't hear from them as often as I felt like I heard it from people around me at that age. So I do hope that that's shifting. And then I will also say, because this is something I get asked all the time is, well, how do I change how my family members think about this? Or how do I convince my family that dieting isn't the right way? And what I always see back is like, sometimes you're not going to be able to change people's opinion and that's okay too, right? Like your job is to take care of yourself and to do what you believe in and what aligns with your values. You don't have to live to convince other people too, because there's plenty of people in my life that I've never, you know, they know I don't stand for that anymore, but I won't be able to ever change their opinion. And that's okay too, right? Because again, my job isn't to, to convince everyone. My job is just to stand in my own and my own beliefs and 
act through my actions more than anything. And hopefully that will change them. If not, that's fine too. That's ultimately up to them and it's their own narrative to pursue. I hear you 100%. And I think that even if we don't see it, you know, I definitely don't think that it's our jobs to manage other people's lives. Like everybody owns their own body and can do things their own way and knows what's best for them. But I do think that even if we can't see the changes, there is something so powerful when we show up fully present because it gives other people permission to do the same. So thank you for sharing Like I don't think... Oh, thank you. I was just going to say, I don't think 20, 30 years ago, like I don't even feel like these were conversations that the general person was having. You know, I maybe like uh, famous people or activist celebrities were having some of these kind of conversations, but I think that's the power of social media is that I really feel like the everyday person, like we're really having these deep, meaningful conversations about how to show up for ourselves. And I, I think that's so powerful because I think that's really how we're going to propel this movement forward. Mm. Well, I want to talk about social media for a moment. You mentioned sometimes that it's easy to fall into that comparison game on social media. And obviously, social media can be used in so many positive ways by, you know, for example, someone like you who has this platform that can spread this message about accepting your body and where they are now. Yeah, something happened recently with one of my girlfriends, and I'd love to get your take and your advice on this because I think this is fairly common. So I went to an event with a brand and there were were a lot of celebrities and like Instagram influencers there. And at this event all over social media, they used food as a prop. They were taking pictures of cotton candy and French fries and hot dogs. And there was a lot of taking photos of the food and posing with the food on social media, but then not a lot of people were actually eating it. And when I got back from this event, I was staying with one of my girlfriends because the event was out of town. Um, And she said, Kate, like, how was it? You know, um, it looked like really amazing. And look what so-and-so was wearing. And did you see this post from this person? And then her face kind of turned. And she said, I feel so bad about myself because I'm seeing that so-and-so eats cotton candy and hot dogs. And, you know, they're still thin And I had a miscarriage and I can't lose the last five pounds from this baby um, that, you know, that I lost. And she said, which obviously, you know, I know that I need to be compassionate about with myself, but I just feel so sad. Like I can't, I can't measure up while all of these people are out there eating these foods, having fun, living a joyful life. You know, meanwhile, she's not seeing that these foods were just photographed and basically props. Um, I, I I'm not really sure what my what my question is, but what what would you tell people who what would you tell my friend who is bummed out? What would you tell people who, you know, are watching social media and comparing themselves to these other people who are posing with baguettes and candy and whatever? Oh my goodness. I have so much compassion for your friend. And I'm sure people listening have had similar thoughts, similar experiences. And my heart goes out to you because that is such an unsettling feeling. Don't you think of like believing that 
you can't do what someone else can do. And I've had clients uh, express similar concerns of, but look at this person, how they exercise or look at how they eat, look at their, what I ate in a day post, look at how they eat all these things. And I always share, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. The reality is, is that people unfortunately aren't near as transparent as they should be. And, or maybe they just are honestly ignorant to the fact that they also have disordered eating because it's so, as we've consistently shared throughout this episode, it's so normal to be a disordered eater. I don't, I generally think there's some people out there who don't recognize their patterns, their, how they take care of themselves, how they eat as disordered eating. So I think that I would share that just because you're seeing someone do that does not mean they have a healthy relationship with food, does not mean that they're in good health, does not mean that they're really um, happy and feeling fulfilled because we all know if anyone has ever struggled disordered eating, it makes you preoccupied with food, it makes you obsessed, it makes you really not meaningful meaningfully living your life. And just because someone takes a pretty picture does not mean that they're actually happy and enjoying their lives. So that would be my message is don't let the perception confuse you with the reality of what is. So powerful because what you see on Instagram is just what you see on Instagram. (laughs) You never know what the reality is. Yeah. And maybe just another thought to add to that is Another thing I'll share with clients is something I try my best to practice, and I'm not perfect at this, but I try to remember that I am the own steward of how I consume content. So I have to even consistently remind myself that this is someone's highlight reel. Like I try to be transparent on my feed, but still it often ends up being the highlight reel of my transparency, right? So I think it's our jobs to remind ourselves consistently through our internal dialogue that like, hey, that is not always as it seems like if I'm ever comparing myself to someone else, that means I either need to unfollow that person, I need to mute that person, or maybe I need to take a social media break and take some time off. Because if you're comparing yourself, like, social media can be used for such power and it can also be used in a way to like really demean yourself. So if it's doing that, that means you got to check yourself with your social media use. And ultimately you are the power of that, right? Like you are the one that has to show up and do that for yourself. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about hormone health. I saw on your website that you have a package that focuses on hormone health and also that you've done a lot of work supporting women, helping them get off of birth control. Can you tell us why hormone health is important in the first place? Oh, I love this conversation. Um, And I love talking about it in conjunction with intuitive eating because again, to me, they so beautifully align together. I think this cyclical nature of our bodies also is encompassed into like the intuitive eating philosophy and lifestyle. So yeah, having a natural monthly consistent cycle, and I'd also argue if possible, it's not always possible for everyone, but if you can also have a natural monthly cycle, meaning that you are not on a form of synthetic birth control, it is really powerful because you're really going to connect to your intuition and really feel yourself in such a more deep way. I think it's really hard for people to feel connected inside their bodies if they don't understand even what their menstrual cycle is. Like I cannot tell you how many times I have talked with someone or, you know, either online, social media, podcasts, or a client where they had no idea what like even happened with their menstrual cycle. And we're not really taught that education in school, unfortunately. So, um, The reason why we believe it's so powerful to get off birth control, like I mentioned, I think there's 100% a case, like if you need to be on birth control, girl, you do your thing. Like it is okay to be on birth control. 
However, if you are ready to get off of it, I think there's some information really worth knowing because synthetic birth control means you're having a monthly withdrawal bleed. It's not the same as the natural ebb and flow of your monthly period. So that's important just to know because it's not the same as your monthly period. And that also means that it may take some time to get your period back. And a lot of women, unfortunately, aren't given that information about like, hey, it might take three to six months and you potentially have had some B vitamin deficiency and other deficiencies. Like you should take some supplements to help your body get used to getting off of it. And for some women, they even have a hard time getting their period back after getting off birth control. And that's where lab testing or just making sure that you're taking care of your big four that affect your hormones, which is food, exercise, sleep, and stress. It can be really powerful in helping you get your monthly period back. I love what you said too about how there is no shame about being on birth control, because I think part of the backlash that we've been witnessing as women are understanding what birth control is and how it's affecting all of their major systems and their physiology and their mental health, um, there's been this idea that, oh my gosh, birth control is bad. And that is not what you're saying at all. You're simply giving people tools. Like if you are ready to go off of birth control, here are some things that you can do. And you mentioned taking a B12 vitamin. Was that right? You know, there's a couple different things that you can do. Um, I would just say taking some form of activated B vitamins um, is really helpful. Magnesium might be something else to look into as well. Um, but, or you could even just do a prenatal vitamin or even doing a general multivitamin. But we do have a few key vitamins and minerals that are depleted from the synthetic hormonal birth control pills. So yeah, there are some supplements. We even like to do things like seed cycling, which is using different types of seeds to help people naturally regulate their period. There's adaptogens like maca you can do. So there's just different like little aids and stuff. We'll even sometimes recommend things like turmeric and ginger, which can be very anti-inflammatory and reduce prostaglandins to help your body get cycling again or reduce the pain that you have when you are cycling. So I think that's where um, it's really cool how nutrition can be interwoven into the intuitive eating philosophy as well of like, there's like all these really cool for forms of herbs and botanicals you can do to support your cycle. But I did want to echo what you said, Kate, of, you know, I, I, I agree. I think sometimes in everything with health and wellness, messages get so extreme. And just because we're telling people that, you know, being on birth control for your entire life may not be best and you want to know how to get off of it doesn't mean you should like hate on people for being on birth control. Because even though I was personally on it for 12 years, I would still have taken it knowing what I know now because I needed to be on birth control, right? So I think it's really important that we don't shame women. And instead we advocate for them understanding like the pros and cons to birth control and you doing whatever feels best for you. Totally. I'm really glad that I was on birth control for 17 years. Now that I'm reading about how it impacts the body, part of me feels horrified, but the other part of me knows that I never would have been able to train at a competitive level and run 90 miles a week if I didn't have the birth control. So anyway, there are all kinds of different circumstances. I appreciate you actually sparing that, Kate, because sometimes synthetic estrogen is actually a positive. Like an example would be sometimes with people getting their periods back after an eating disorder, sometimes we need birth control to give that synthetic estrogen until they're at a weight restored level. Another example would be what you shared, Kate, right? So like, again, it's never a situation where we want to be like all or nothing towards it. And that's why I love you, Victoria, because you always take the time to understand the context. And 
Um, you're not one to just press an easy button or slap a, a, a solve onto something that you, unless you really fully understand all the pieces. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit more about hormones and why they matter, though. So really, why does balancing your hormones matter? Because to me, sometimes it feels like just a buzzword and I don't necessarily understand how healthy hormones really impact our body physiologically and then also psychologically. Yeah, well, from the mental perspective, I like that you asked that. It really helps to stabilize and to also understand our mood. So I think not only having healthy hormones, but also having a deep understanding of how our hormones work. So for example, as you continue in the first half of your cycle, your follicular phase, you're having this rise in your hormones. And as we reach ovulation, you're having like this huge surge of LH and estrogen, and then you have a spike of testosterone. And then after that, you have progesterone. And that impacts how you feel, how you show up, your energy, your mood. And as you continue in the second half of your phase, your luteal phase of your period, as you're reaching towards menstruation, you feel completely different than you do in your first half. So to me, I think it's more than anything. Like most women have fine hormones, unless you have a missing period, a regular period, or you're having like really intense, strong symptoms with your either ovulation or most commonly with menstruation, right? So I think the the one thing I always like to share with this is like people think everything is always wrong with their bodies. Like if you're not having a period, there's something wrong there. If you're having extreme period pain, something's wrong there. But otherwise your period, your hormones are probably fine, right? There's maybe some work that can be done, but overall, like your body knows how to take care of itself. Your hormones are healthy and happy regardless, as long as, again, you have a, a consistent monthly natural cycle, meaning that you're not on birth control. Um, I think the main thing to me is the education piece. So like understanding the dips and the flows of your different types of hormones. It's typically what we talk about is estrogen, progesterone, FSH, and LH, and understanding how those impact your mood, your energy, um, how you show up. Like I said, that's where I think it's most important because it helps you understand, for example, why some days you just really want to rest day and you don't want to move your body, or it helps you understand why you might be a little bit more irritated or why you feel this huge surge in energy and want to do all the things. So I think to me, more than anything, it helps people have a better understanding of why they feel different on different days. Because we we have this belief, I think, because we live in a very male-dominated world where they have 24-hour cycles and they really are the same in day in and day out where women were so vastly different. We had these monthly cycles. To me, I'm like, that's where the power is in understanding why you feel different at different times of the cycle of your month rather than thinking that you need to like reach this like elusive healthy hormone balance. Does that make sense? It does. And I love, love, love what you're saying. And I want to repeat it again, because I think this is such an important key message. Just understanding your hormones and your cycle. What I'm hearing you say is that it can help you to work with your body rather than fight against it. 
Yeah. And that's why I love things like fertility awareness method. And if you've never heard of that term before, basically what it means is you're learning how to track your ovulation so that you know when you're going to be menstruating. You can use that as a form of birth control if you desire. And you can also use that to help you conceive if desired. And I think I love that kind of education because I find most women, again, are just so disconnected from their bodies. They don't even know anything about their period. And I always ask, well, if you are questioning if you're menstruating, the question more actually is when are you ovulating? Because if you don't know when you're ovulating, you don't know when you're going to menstruate. So again, to me, it comes back to like knowledge is power, understanding your body, it helps you connect to it and it helps you understand why you feel different, different times of the month. And the last thing I'll say with that too, is it also helps you understand why you have different needs for food intake and different cravings for food too. Again, we have such different needs and sometimes certain times of the month, particularly around the time that you're ovulating, you're have this huge surge for a Crave, craving of carbs because your body needs carbohydrates in order to ovulate. And then when we menstruate, we do tend to want all the sweet things and all the chocolate because it's comfort and about also gives us magnesium. So I think there's power in understanding that like if it really does impact all areas of, of our body, but um, in a really, not a bad way, in like a good way. <laughs> yeah, no, I just think it's so cool because since I have started paying attention to this, I really didn't pay any attention to my body or my period for most of my life. It's only been in the last few years that I began to tune in. And it is so cool to see these patterns. It's like I've noticed changes in my eating. I've noticed how it impacts my movement. Like the week of my cycle, I don't really want to do that much. I like take more walks. I do more yoga. The week after my cycle, that's when I try to film more classes for people. And I do my high intensity stuff because I just feel unstoppable. So all of this knowledge, what you're saying, it is power and it helps me to um, move away from questioning, oh, what's wrong with me? Why is this like this? To helping me accept my body and help me accept what's arising now in a way that maybe I couldn't before. I love that you said that. And I so appreciate you sharing that because to me, this is where the conversation of hormones and our period health and cyclic living, they need, they absolutely need to be interwoven into the conversation of body respect and intuitive eating, because as you can see, like it really does impact all those different areas. So it's really important that we talk about that as well. And I find a lot of times people pick different camps of things to talk about. I'm like, I want to talk about it all because it, it all impacts each other. Yes, that is amazing. It all does impact each other. It's all connected. So Victoria, two last questions for you. What do you see women struggling with the most? Like what mistake do you see women making? In the context of the intuitive eating journey or just in general? Yes, the context of intuitive eating journey. But if you prefer to answer it in general, that's fine. Just like if there's one thing that you could help clients to really recognize and know deeply in their bones, like what would that be? Hmm. Okay. I'm going to answer based off of a theme I've seen inside of our online course and with clients recently, and that's a fear of weight gain. I feel like the thing that prevents most people from not fully embracing intuitive eating in their lives and giving themselves permission to listen to their bodies and to eat with 
true enjoyment and pleasure is that they're so deeply fearful of waking. And I want to come back to the conversation we've had of like, that does not align with your values, like not showing up for yourself because you're afraid of the possibility of even waking and you're like future tripping yourself of what may or may not happen to your body. It's not value-based and it's not trusting your body to take care of yourself. And while there's definitely, definitely true truth in the fact that your body can change with intuitive eating. Um, What's also true is your body does know how to take care of itself and that it does know how to find homeostasis. Your body doesn't want to constantly be gaining weight or losing weight. It wants to stay the same. So you have to trust your body to do that for you. And yeah, I I would just you know, really echo the fact that like, you don't have to let the fear of weight gain. It's so valid, but don't let fear stop you from doing what you really want to do in your life. Let the fear instead ignite you to do what is important to you. Let the fear ignite you to do what's important. Yeah, and sometimes the fear before we're ready to let it go, I've noticed in my own life that the fear gets stronger. It like has more of a hold on me than it did before because it's like all rising to the surface, letting me fully see it before I can release it. Absolutely, right? I have another question for you. Sorry. Based on that, like (laughs) I told you that I only had two, but I'm adding an extra one. So earlier in the show, you said that you are heavier now, that your body is bigger than it has been, but you also sound happier, freer, and just more authentically you and more fully present than you've ever been. Would you say that's the case? 100%. I so fundamentally believe now because of my own experience and what I've seen happen to others as well is that your body weight does not have to predict your happiness, your healthiness. It does not have to predict anything about you. It's what you make it out to be. So I would say that, yeah, to my younger self, I'm like, I don't know what I was so scared of. Um, my body needed to change because I'm growing older and I needed change and I needed to let go of the restrictions and the deprivation. And it was so worth it. So worth it. Okay. Last question. How does fierce love move through you? Mm, Fierce love. I love this question. I don't think I've ever been asked anything like this before. Fierce love moves through me through mothering and by showing up for myself because I know that that allows me to show up better for my daughter. And that doesn't mean I'm great about that each and every day. Sometimes I have days where I have meltdowns and I do a terrible job of taking care of myself. But I know in in order to be a good mother, I do have to take care of myself and show up fully for myself. I don't want to play that narrative that I find most mothers do where they feel like they don't matter anymore. So just consistently, compassionately reminding myself of that. And then fierce love, I'd also say shows up for my community. I love my job so much and it's so important to me and it's my dharma. It's my purpose in life. And I just feel so grateful that I get to do this work and I want to show up every day for, for the women and people that I serve. I'm so grateful that you do this work too. You make this health and wellness space such a better place and I'm very happy to know you. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And I have to echo that right back to you, Kate, because it just has like made my made me so happy to have found people like me and also not like me, you know, in the wellness space. But what I mean more than that is that it's so nice to have people who are also trying to dismantle diet culture and show that like you can, like in the work that you do, you can take care of yourself, you can move your bodies, but it doesn't have to be because you're trying to manipulate your body. And I think that's so powerful and such an important message. So thank you for doing what you do. 
Oh, well, how can people find you, Victoria? So you can find me at a few different places. So the first one is the Nourishing Women podcast. That's my podcast where we host episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Um, You can also find me at my blog, Victoria Myers, and then you can find out about our online education center and our private practice at nourishingmindnutrition.com. And then lastly, on Instagram, you can find me at two different spaces. That's my personal account, which is at Victoria Myers underscore, and then at Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Awesome. You guys find Victoria, take her courses, plug into her community via email on Instagram. She is a force and we're so honored to have had this time with you today. Thank you. That was Victoria Myers. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed the show, please let me know by rating it on iTunes. That helps other people find out about the podcast. It also helps me get really good guests for future episodes. I'm sending you all my love this week. Here's to showing up fully present here now.